Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. Hey. So we have the pleasure of two people speaking to us this morning. I'd like to invite John Wiggy. John, sorry, John Wigglesworth. I'll give you use your formal name. And Jez Barnsley uh, to come and speak to us this morning. Are you both coming up at the same time? Oh, John's going to kick us off. But um, let's just reach out a hand to these guys. Father, thank you so much for their willingness to step up, to step out, to take risks. Ah, thank you that you love them so much. And we position our hearts to receive from you, God, all that it is that you want to pour out of these guys today. Thank you, God. Morning. Morning. So today, Jez and I will be talking on the ends of Acts 4 and the start of Acts 5, which some of you might know as Ananias and Sapphira. Mm. So I just wanted to set a a bit of the scene for the context of what we're about to talk about. Uh, So this comes about two years after Pentecost. Um, The anointing is still fresh from then. Uh, It's not long after the apostles preached and the 3,000 were saved, which actually grew to 5,000 at this point. And they'd settled into a community. Um, And it was when Peter and John were freed after their imprisonment from the Sanhedrin. uh, They returned to the group. And this is a little bit after. So this is what happens. Jez, are you reading the first bit? Sorry. Okay, so this is Acts 4.32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he needed. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. 
And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Hi. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. W would you believe I actually had a choice in picking this one? <laughs> so, the cause and effect of this seems to be that they lied to God and then they died. So, I know that's where I could leave it, but I know you, you, you just want a little more information than that. Um, so, in that vein, there are one or two theories which I'll cover. Um, one is the theory of covenant overlap. That sounds fancy. So, God relates to humanity through covenant. And the old covenant was formed between those led out of Egypt and God at Mount Sinai. That was the law. It was, that you know, thou shalt. And the new covenant was formed of grace and the price is paid when Jesus died on the cross. So it was between the Father and the Son and we were grafted on. Now the old covenant didn't stop when the new covenant was made. It carried on for a good 40 years after, up until the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, when it was sacked and destroyed by the Romans. So this was a point in the church when they were really trying to figure how to do the new coming out of the old. So it is a theory going around that Peter, as an apostle, drew on old covenant authority and, um, well, knocked them dead. So this theory suggests that this could never reoccur and there's no more Old Covenant after all. Uh, another theory is that with great anointing comes great responsibility. So for a little context of this, verse 31 Acts 4, which is the verse just before Jez started reading, um, mentions after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were praying that they could speak the word of God more boldly. But I, I don't recall any time when I've prayed that the meeting place has shaken. Not yet, we'll get there. Um, so the power of the anointing there required a greater level of responsibility. And because they were looking to be seen as more generous than they actually were, and they were so filled with the Spirit there's something there about it just it, it couldn't happen it just couldn't happen there you'll be sure to know that this theory <laughs> means that when not if the magnitude of that anointing is reached again there is nothing to say that that couldn't happen again a bit scary whichever theory you go for or 
either, none, one or the other. You might go for another one, which I haven't mentioned. Um, you cannot escape the fact that this occurred because of their heart attitudes and their heart motives. God puts vast significance on our heart motives. Um, it, oftentimes more than the weight of the action itself. And that's why we can do something seemingly insignificant and God can be really pleased with us, so proud of us. So it's the heart motive that shines through as the most pleasing part of the offering. And we've seen this with the widow and the two copper coins, Mark 12, 41 to 44. Um, I'll go over that briefly. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, and she put in everything, all she had to live on. That was her money to see her through till payday. There was nothing, nothing held back that went in the offering. Nothing left. Nothing left for gas and electric. Nothing left for food. Nothing for going out on Friday night. Jesus sees that and notes that this woman has given more than the rich who show up. And they like to be seen putting in a lot of that coin. They like to be seen to be generous. And we see it again, the heart motive with Cain and Abel. Um, Cain and Abel, God loves Abel's offering of sheep, because he's a shepherd, and rejects Cain's offering of produce, even though he's a farmer. So Cain gets angry. God asks him, why are you angry? And then Cain kills Abel. I don't know what was on Cain's heart before the offering, but I can tell what was on his heart after. And God knew what was on his heart beforehand as well. God doesn't miss a thing, not a single thing. Um, now, it's in giving and heart motives, it's not just about money. Um, so the, the saying goes, I think it's time, talent, and tithe that you give. So service is one of those. And service is something that I've been called on by one or two others and by God. So to give you a bit of context, I... I'm on several teams at the church here, so I do the words at the back sometimes. I lead the sound team. I'm on the social media team. Um, and I used to do kitchen duty. So there were some services where I would be doing sound and words. That was, you know, put the slide up, come out. Oh, that sounds right. Yeah, go back, next slide. Mm, can't quite get the next slide. Um, and then straight from that, I would be in the kitchen. Um, and then after that, there'd be another service later, which I was probably on duty for as well. So why am I telling you this? Am I a rich hypocrite? <laughs> well, I can tell you I didn't win the lottery this week, so I'm not one of them. <laughs> I'm telling you because you can go the other way with giving and heart motives you can begrudgingly give too much. And that's something that I've done. Because um, God told me when he challenged me, he says, the reason you're not seeing much from this is your heart isn't in it. 
So I've had to spend some time in repentance looking over my service giving as well as my monetary giving and my time management because God knows your heart motives and God will put his everything in. I was reminded of this when I watched The Shack for the first time recently. Mm. And there's the part where he's sitting outside with Jesus and looking up at the stars and He's like, do you want to come see? He's like, come, do you want to see? Come see what I've made. And then looking at the stars, and I was like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you made those. And it was all of creation, the the cosmos, everything that we haven't got to, everything on Earth that we haven't found, that we continue to find. And there are some things we're never going to find. And God made all of that to give His one hundred percent in His expression of giving to us. So that's that's God's heart motive. So I'm going to hand over to Jez for the next part. Thanks, John. Yeah, you see, one of God's names is Jehovah Jireh, isn't it? The provider. He, it's his name. It's part of his character. He can't help but be a good provider. And, you know, as John was saying, in terms of creating the universe, you look outside and you look at the sky. How much sky do we actually need? Have you ever... Have you ever thought God isn't very generous with the sky today? It's not very much sky or oh, I'm struggling, I'm struggling for breath. He's been a bit tight on oxygen today, hasn't he? God is just in- infinitely generous. And do you know what? We're created in his image. So how generous should we be? He cares about us being generous. He cares about us having money because he's a good provider, and he cares about what we do with that money. And, um, and sometimes he directs us quite specifically about that money. There was, a, there was a time, this is a good few years ago now, where Nick and I had saved up uh, quite a, an amount of money to get some new windows, and we'd arranged for three different salespeople to come around uh, the next day, and you know we were going to choose one of the companies. And we got all that sorted, we went to bed, and the next morning, when we woke up, Nick said, did you have a weird dream? And I said, yeah. And it turned out we had the same dream, that God was telling us not to get the windows, but we'd need the money for something else. And strangely, I felt that we'd need the money for a a business thing, something to do with the family business. Anyway, we knew God was speaking. He'd spoken to both of us, and obviously it had confirmed that. But the... The irony was we had to sit through a whole day of three different salespeople telling us how good their windows were, how they worked, how much heat they kept in, um, and also telling us that if we paid today, it would be so much cheaper. And we're like, (laughs) we can't pay today. We're not going to take the windows. So we did that. um, And then about a week later, it turns out that uh, Nick's mom, who was running the family business, was in, in dire need of some cash injection, and the amount that she was asking for was the exact amount that we'd saved. But even if we don't get like specific direction as to what to do with the money, there's, there's some basic principles that we can live by. We can trust him. We can trust him that being generous is going to be okay. If we believe that everything is from him, everything that we earn and receive is from God, 
then should we not give the first 10% back to him? And on a personal level, that 10%, I believe, belongs in your home church. Your tithe, I believe, belongs in your home church. If we look back to that passage, uh, the money was brought to the apostles' feet to distribute, verse 35. It's perhaps not our job to say what our tithe should be used for, but we've appointed leaders within the church to have wisdom and discernment to do that, yeah, so they can decide how best the money should be distributed. Um, but just in case you're a little bit confused, even though your, your tithe should go to your church, there's, there's no restriction in giving beyond that. The, the Bible talks about tithes and offerings. Um, it might be that you want to support a particular charity or that there's the, you know, the Mercy Fund offering coming up or a visiting speaker or you might want to be supporting somebody through Bible college or as a missionary, that kind of thing. There's no limit. There's no percentages, no limit on that kind of thing. Uh, be as generous as you feel led to be generous. But the problem is that, that as Brits, we, maybe it's just gen, general Westerners as a whole, but we kind of have this almost inbuilt fear of there might not be enough, that if we're generous, there might not actually be enough left over for us to work with. Um, it, it's, you know, you might term it poverty spirit, and sometimes that thing needs breaking in us. I know it needs a breaking in me, it needs a breaking in my family. Now we've we've been on quite a long journey with this and, and I believe that God's broken a lot of that off us and our family. Um, it still does manifest from time to time and there was one famous occasion when we were in America and we we didn't have a, a huge budget in America because we weren't allowed to work over there. Um, so yeah, finances were tight. We still were, you know, tried to give away money where we could, but finances were tight. But there was this one time where we were going around the supermarket, and this was like the really cheap supermarket, Walmart. We were just getting mostly essentials in the trolley or the basket or whatever they call it over there. And um, I was like trying to stem the flow of things that Nick was putting into the basket. And it's like, do we really need that? Do we really? Need and it came, came to a head with chocolate raisins. Nick wanted chocolate raisins. And I was like, that's like far too indulgent. <laughs> Surely we can't manage to afford chocolate raisins. Anyway, somehow I managed to persuade her to put them back on the shelf. We got to the checkout. And um, the thing was, our attention was really caught by the woman in front of us in the queue. That she was... Um, I got this. I've been, been incredibly emotional the last three or four days leading up to, to this. And the, I can only explain it as, as if I can get across to you the goodness of God. You'll, you'll see what's going on in my heart at the moment. Anyway, this lady in front of us was, was piling up trays and trays of this stuff called Top Ramen. Does anybody know what Top Ramen is? Imagine packets of super noodles, so like instant noodles with a flavoring, but they're, they're like about the tenth of the price that they are here in America. So she, she was literally going to be feeding her family instant noodles as every meal, every day, 
just tray after tray of these really, really cheap things of food. And, and something went on in our heart, and Nick managed to persuade me. I agreed. And we actually paid for this lady's shopping. She was absolutely blown away. It was such a profound thing for her to have that done to her. Completely blown away. But do you know what happened next? <laughs> the person behind us saw what had happened and paid for us. And that just kept happening. Time and time again, we would we'd sow $100 into a family because they needed it. And like a couple of months later, they'd come around to our house and give us $250 because they'd been so blessed and um, because God had poured more and more into their lives. And it just kept happening time and time again. It was, it was like you couldn't outgive God. You see, that's God's multiplication. That's how he loves to multiply the motive inside a heart almost like stirs the motive inside his heart as well. There was a time that we were around um, Liz and Scholler's house um, not so long ago actually and they'd invited us around for lunch and uh, they'd invited a couple of other people just at the last minute. So they were a little bit unprepared um, for the extra people but Liz had made a chicken casserole thing. Um, we were all Enjoying that, you know, Shola was dishing out the, the chicken and things. We'd all had a, a pretty healthy portion. Um, and then I think Liz went into the kitchen to sort out the dessert or whatever. And Shola pipes up, you know, would anyone like seconds? And, of course, you know, my boys, when have they ever refused seconds? So, in fact, we all pretty much had seconds. Like maybe one or two pieces each of the chicken. And, um, and that was all great. Then Liz came back in. And, um, and somebody mentioned that we'd enjoyed the seconds as well. And she was like, seconds? There are 14 people here. I'd only put 14 pieces of chicken in. And we'd realized that somehow another 14, 28 pieces of chicken had materialized because of God's multiplication. But you know, it's not like a formula. It's not like if I put this 10 pounds in, I'll get 100 pounds. It doesn't work like that. It's to do with your history with him. It's to do with that relationship and that trust that you build up time after time and about that heart motive. Yeah, it's taken us quite a long time on that journey to get to the point where God is really trusting our heart and our heart motive with these kind of things. And it's not been easy. So if you, if you look at the biblical stuff, you might say, okay, well, you know, the 10% thing, the tithe thing, that's, surely that's Old Testament. And it is, you're right. It was in the Old Testament law. You know, there's, there's a number of notable passages about that. Um, but if that's Old Testament law and we live under New Testament principles, 
principles written on our heart. What's the percentage in the New Testament? What's the percentage in the passage that we have just looked at? Or with the widow's coins? It's 100%. It's your choice. (laughs) But to be honest, the important part isn't the percentage. Um, Although I would highly recommend 10% as only a minimum. But it's that heart attitude. You know, as John has said, if you, if you give begrudgingly, God isn't impressed. He's more impressed by the heart motive. So if you were to, to list some of those Old Testament passages, there's like Leviticus 27, there's Deuteronomy 14, 2 Chronicles 31, Nehemiah 13. But probably the one that you will all have heard of is the, is the Malachi 3 passage, verse 10. Where God, this is God speaking, and he says, Bring the whole tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Wow, that's pretty cool, isn't it? But have you looked at the verse before that? Verse 9, and this is also God speaking, and he's saying, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That I may, and it goes on, you know, what I've just read. So the context of that is God is actually saying that they have been withholding from him. If you don't withhold from God, look at that list of blessings. Look at what he's promising but God at this point was saying that they had been withholding it from him. So we've got to be careful. Don't, don't withhold from God what's rightfully his. Yeah, don't, don't let the enemy convince you of this fear of lack or convince you that you cannot be generous, almost that it's illegal to be generous. We break that lie in Jesus' name. It's kingdom to be generous. And... And don't let the enemy convince you all of those things so that you miss out on the blessing. God wants to bless you. Now, sometimes our heart motives stop us being blessed because of the way that we operate in things. But let's get our heart motives right and receive that blessing. He's a good provider, a phenomenal provider. There was another time where we needed some money for a missions trip that we were going on to Zimbabwe and it was actually all four of us as a family it was very unusual for a whole family to be going on that trip and we put in all the money that we could Um, we'd asked a number of people if they were able to to support us in that and and wonderfully they did but we were still I think two thousand dollars short now Zimbabwe is kind of the furthest place away from northern Northern California where we were at the time so it was a it was an expensive trip and it was a very long flights and so on but we were about two thousand dollars short and it was a week 
coming up to that uh, that deadline and um, and we we were obviously chatting to to parents and so on and and Nick's dad, who is phenomenally generous, said, "Look, I'll make the difference. Whatever it is, I'll make the difference so that you can go on the trip. Because if we didn't get the deadline, if we didn't get the money by the deadline, we couldn't go on the trip. And we we were incredibly grateful, but we we knew our earthly father was generous." but we needed to know that our Heavenly Father was generous. So we, we said, we're so blown away by your generosity, but we actually need to see God come through on this. So we, we declined the offer. We told our trip leader that that's what we had done. <laughs> and they, they, kind of, they stood with us, but probably thought that we were a little bit mad. Because as I say, if we didn't get that money in, we couldn't have gone on the trip. Anyway, the day of the deadline came. We looked at our, our balance thing. And, um, and we were still $2,000 short. So we rang the trip leader. <laughs> and we said, look, it looks like we're short. Um, you know, we've tried tried all we can do, but um, we held out for God to come through. Maybe you should just distribute this money amongst the other people on the trip who haven't quite made it, and then, you know, some more people can go. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) the trip leader looked at their listings and it just so turns out that two anonymous donations of a thousand dollars had come through. And in fact, there was still the rest of the day to go. We didn't realize that at the time. Um, so we ended up getting three or four extra hundred dollars coming in that we were able to distribute to other people who hadn't quite made it because God is good and he's generous and he's a good provider and he knows our needs and we celebrate him. Thank you, God. But you know, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it hurts to give. And that's part of, part of our sacrifice to him. He's obviously paid the ultimate sacrifice. But sometimes he requires sacrifice of us. But you know, it's not, it's not a bed of roses financially for us all the time. Um, in fact, in some ways, when you haven't got a lot of savings and, and backup and so on, Um, it makes you more dependent on him. And that is actually a really good place to be. The more dependent on God you are, uh, it's almost like the the more he can work through you, the more exciting your time with him can be. Um... 
and even now we are kind of positioning ourselves for one of the greatest financial breakthroughs that we need in our lifetime. We've seen him come through time and time again, time and time again. But, but there's like a, a healthiness in that dependence. As a, as a contractor, I've worked for, as a contractor for a number of years, it's usual to, to build up a, like a backup, a buffer, so that when you're out of work, it's not a problem, you know, because you probably earn a bit more normally when you're in work, so when you're out of work, you know, build up a little bit extra to tie you over. God doesn't always work like that. And he's asked us at least, well, two times I can remember, to give that buffer away, even though I had no guarantee of work. And there was a particular time where he said to do that, which we happily did because we trusted him. And we were on that journey of, of trusting him more and growing closer to him. And, and one of the other things as a contractor, I'd agreed to, to never work away from home for long periods of time. So I was always looking for work in Newcastle and Gateshead. So often there were timing issues. It's like there's only so many companies that would employ the kind of person that I am, the skills that I do. Um, they would happily have me, but is it the right time? when they're recruiting and they're needing people. Anyway, this one time, we'd given away um, our reserves, as it were, and we, we were like, well, where, where is the work coming from? And th there'd been no inkling of any kind of work from agencies or, or through any other means. And Nick was down on a conference in Sheffield and this was around May time. And she felt that God said to her, don't worry about Jezza's job. He's going to get something on the 6th of June. And she was like, 6th of June? I don't normally get dates and stuff. And she almost like laughed it off. And God said, no, look it up. It's a Monday. So she looked it up. And it was a Monday. So this was actually, you know, we, we had no money. We still had over a month to go before it was going to be the 6th of June because this was early May. And we, but we believed, we'd had that seed and we believed God would do what he said he would do. We didn't tell many people, but we just asked a couple of people to pray. And, and you've got you to hear this from the context of this was almost like not the 11th hour, this was the 13th hour. We'd gone beyond what we thought we could manage with and we'd had to go further. But the 6th of June came and in the morning of the 6th of June I got a phone call and it was from an agency and they said, there's this interview that we want to put you forward through, forward, forward for. And we thought, well, that's not what God said. God didn't say there might be a chance of work on the 6th of June. He said he would give you work on the 6th of June. Now, bearing in mind that it was pretty much the first call from an agency in three months with any potential interviews. So that was like a positive thing, but it wasn't what we were believing for. Anyway, about 2.30 in the afternoon, I got a call from a, a colleague that I used to work for ages ago. And he said... Um, 
we've got some work for you if you can start tomorrow. I can start tomorrow. Yes, that would be wonderful. Um, and it was a, it was a six-week piece of work which actually brought one of a key skill back up to the top of my CV, which then allowed me to get an 18-month job, which took us all the way until we went off to battle. Because God is good. He keeps his word. He's trustworthy. Yeah. There's a phrase that says, fire falls on sacrifice. God will honor your sacrifice and your heart behind that sacrifice. He wants to bless us immensely. He really does. So let's become outrageously generous, like he is, because we're created in his image. And I believe an apostolic people is outrageously generous. Let's be generous with our love, with our time, and with our money. Amen. Wow.